Welcome to another Eurovision for Real podcast. It's Alicia Michelle, and I'm back with an original episode. I have to say, when I first started this podcast, I really felt kind of motivated to do the podcast based off of my uh, my Eurovision State of Play conversations. And those were my live streams that I think I started. Did I start them in 2020? I think in 2020 I might have started it. Because, you know, all of, like, the presidential election, and it's like, we've got an election state of play happening here. We've got an election state of play. And I was like, okay, what's the Eurovision state of play? Where we can just kind of check in and we don't have to have a set topic. It's just more so, like, there's a lot of stuff popping off. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we just want to talk about all of it together in a sort of a casual way. So uh, I think that I will continue to put my Eurovision State of Play live streams here on the Eurovision for Real podcast. And of course, as always with those Eurovision State of Plays, y'all can actually join it. You can actually be on it and talk to me on it. And the way that I'm doing it this year is all you have to do is DM me on Instagram, the topic or question, and then I will send you the link so you can come onto the stream. And then in this space, I don't have to be sat here You know, kind of talking to myself, but I'm not really talking to myself, am I? I have the opportunity to speak with you. It's a beautiful thing. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I I had it sort of come to me that I was like, you know, I don't know if there isn't one answer. There isn't one answer for this because we're sat here in this limbo state of where are we going to be? Where could I hopefully be for Eurovision 2023? And, uh, and really the question is, what do you think is the most important factor when it comes to selecting a host city? And it's like one key thing, one key thing. Now, I, I know everyone's going to be like, well, it's more than one factor. Duh, duh, it's more than one factor. We know that, okay? But I wanted to hone in on what you think is the primary thing. So we're going to get into some of these responses. I'm going to share sort of my thoughts, too. But again, I talked about this on the Eurovision State of Play. And it was really just sort of, I was so shocked at my reaction to the Queen's passing. I really, really was. And I was, I was surprised. I surprised myself. I surprised myself how much I was like, oh, this kind of like, this hit me in a way that I didn't think it would. And I definitely think that the Queen's passing is going to play a role, you know, at Eurovision. It it would have to. I mean, also, too, did y'all really think, because there are some people who are like, ugh, I don't like the monarchy and all that stuff, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Okay, but Eurovision's going to be in the U.K., do you think we're really not going to get some type of, you know, video address, even if it is just some overlay? Like, remember when we had Eurovision in Malma, they had um, that soccer player. Now I'm going to forget his name. Zlatan. Zlatan. You know, he said, welcome, you know, to my, you know, my town, Malma, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, like, I was expecting, you know, to see the queen, or, um, or William. Now, the unfortunate thing is we're probably going to get, I'm probably going to get, I guess I have to say King Charles. You know, I don't want to belabor this queen thing, but I thought that we had agreed that we weren't going to call that other woman um, queen. I thought that other lady was not going to be a queen. I thought that that was low-key, like, <laughs> a little thing that they sort of were like, yeah, we need to make sure that she's not going to be referred to as queen so that it would be more palatable for the public. And I'm going to say the not just not just the UK public. I'm saying the world. Okay, (laughs) I'm saying the world. I I thought that we had agreed that, you know, a part of, you know, him having this nice, smooth transition was them ahead of the game establishing that we weren't going to be calling her queen. Now, I've been hearing this, you know, queen consort thing, but I've also heard, you know, some journalists give the shorthand of queen and then inserting that lady's name. 
I don't know how I feel about that, y'all. That feels weird. It feels, it feels, it feels super weird. It feels super weird. But back to your vision, back to your vision. Um, I mean, well, to be honest, it feels weird to say King Charles. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. It feels weird. I don't really like it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't really like it. But again, back to the point. I mean, did y'all really not think that, like, the monarchy was going to have some presence at Eurovision to a certain degree, even if it is just some overlay, simple, you know, video thing of just, you know, hello and welcome to Glasgow or whatever. <laughs> Everyone at home is just like, oh, God, why, why, why do we have to do the accent? Why not? Why not? No, but, but yeah, no, I... I I feel like it would be weird not to. I understand that people were like, ah, you know, I just don't want to see them. And, you know, the royals, like, they're just... Like, I get it. But, and and I I think the the American equivalent, I hate to say, which is so bad. I'm like, the American equivalent is probably the Kardashians, but I'm not going to lie. I watch the shows. You know, it's like, I don't love them or anything. But at this point, it's just like, you know, Kim's got the skims, and I really, I really do like the skims. And... I actually was gifted a pair of Chloe's jeans, Chloe's denim, and the jeans are good. It's really good quality. It's really, really nice denim, y'all. I'm just saying it's really, really nice denim. So we can hate on them, but I can still say, like, eh, you know, it'd be weird. I mean, I would also say that when Armenia wins, I would like a I would like a Kardashian shout out. I, I, I would want Kim. Well, Kim, uh, Kim isn't that charismatic. That's the issue. Maybe she'll be charismatic by that time that she could host and it could be cute. But at minimum, we have to have like a Kardashian sketch. You know, that would just be fun. I, that would be fun. I would, I would want to see that. You know, and I don't even, and again, I say this as someone who's like, ah, oh, you know, you get sick of seeing the Kardashians. You get sick of seeing them. So, you know, the same thing, like, probably with the monarchy. So, uh, you know, we don't really want those folks around. But it'd be weird if they weren't. It'd be weird if they weren't. All right, okay, let's, let's get back to the question, the topic at hand. What do you think is the most important factor when selecting a host city? So I'm not gonna say, Anecdotally, I'm just going to kick it off. Anecdotally, most people essentially, I think in first place, it was infrastructure. Now, I was interested that a lot of people said infrastructure because I think a lot of people have, they don't really know what it is. Like here in America, we just passed, well, we didn't just pass it, but like the biggest achievement, it was this bipartisan infrastructure bill, and it was one of the first big victories that like, President Biden had. And I think a lot of people didn't completely know. When they think of infrastructure, they think of, you know, maybe like roads. So like we want to have nice roads, we want to have highways, we want to fix our bridges and stuff like that. I think people think that. But I also think things like infrastructure do encapsulate, and this was part of the bill that, you know, some Americans didn't really realize how holistic it was. But like part of the infrastructure bill was bringing high speed internet to like parts of the United States because there are people who think that like high-speed internet is just available everywhere. There are people who think that. It's hilarious. There are people who think that. Obviously, it, it's not. It's not. It's so, so that's part of it. So I wonder if people were, when they said infrastructure, I don't think y'all were just thinking of bridges, tunnels, and roads. I think people were thinking of, okay, it's easy for people to get there, and then I think people were thinking it's easy to get around town. And... You know, it's interesting anecdotally. So let, let's hone in on this infrastructure thing because I definitely think that was resoundingly the front runner answer. Um, I'm going to shout out Augusto who said, for me, it's a tie between infrastructure, accommodations, and public transportation. And then I promptly told Augusto, I said one. I said one. And Augusto said, it's hard to just choose one. I was like, I know. But think about how these EBU folks are grappling over these decisions, you see? Like, you see, it's kind of hard to think about this stuff. Think about what you prioritize. You've got a list of pros and cons, but what pros outweigh the other things, you know? 
uh, Fabian, who is amazing and from France, said infrastructure. GJ from Amsterdam, well, I don't know, not maybe from Amsterdam, but from the Netherlands, GJ said infrastructure of the venue. Um, yes, yes. Uh, and, then, and then there were some other things. I'll come back to that. Yeah, and then Andrew Ian said accessibility, which I think is pretty much accessibility infrastructure. I think those kind of go hand in hand. So let me say this. As someone who attended Eurovision, I've been to a few now, it's interesting that people kind of hedged on, you know, easy to get around, easy to get to the venue, all of that stuff. Because I'm going to tell you, (laughs) Sweden... Eurovision 2016, yes. Very easy to get to, public transport, organized, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. 2017, I didn't hear great things, but I did hear people were able to get around, you know. Um, So it wasn't awful. Uh, Maybe not as easy as 2016, but, but fair. Lisbon, great. Lisbon was great. Uh... Yeah, Lisbon. There was there's like there was like a metro stop that was like right there. Tons of like taxi drivers, Uber, Lyft, however, like rideshare options as well. I, I found I found Lisbon really really easy to get around. But I think a lot of people say that it's it's a city that's also surprisingly maybe it's not surprisingly surprisingly walkable. Uh, and then let's talk about uh, so then Israel. Terrible, y'all. I think anyone who has followed my channel. Now, I will say I loved a lot of things about Israel uh, and Tel Aviv in particular. I did not have not one bad meal. I ate good that entire time. My accommodations were very comfortable. Uh, But it was not easy to get around. And even the shuttle situation that they sort of set up for press and delegations wasn't great either. I will tell you, like, there were, so essentially with their rideshare program, and that was like the other sacrilege thing, they made a partnership, there was some sponsorship deal with this, like, ride-sharing app taxi program. And, like, I don't know, I don't want to curse on my podcast, but so many people get on these podcasts and curse. But I'm going to curse about this because it was, like, fucking ridiculous. I mean, I like, actually, like, ridiculous. It was hard to get to Euro Club sometimes. It was hard to come home. I I was stuck at Euro Club with <laughs> with Kino. <laughs> there were there were artists stuck because we were literally there and we couldn't leave. Like and they wanted to shut down Euro Club and everyone was just like, no, I'm not walking outside of this gate. I have called my ride. I'm constantly getting my rides canceled. Because I think part of their culture a little bit there is just like, oh, like, just because you request me doesn't mean I have to take you there. Like, I, you know, I'm the driver. I can kind of decide where I want to go. So you could hail a cab and say, oh, okay, you know, I'm going over here. And they'd be like, oh, no, I'm not going to go over there. What? I just, I, I, I don't understand how we make money that way. I'm, I, I, and also, too, again, with this rideshare company that was sponsoring, you would think at least if you use the app, it would be su- it would be successful. It would work. No. So that was an issue. It was complicated. So I so I love the fact that everyone's saying how important infrastructure is. So EBU maybe that's something that should be like really top of your list is it needs to be easy for people to get to the venue, not just for, you know, people covering the event, but people in general choosing a venue in a space that's well connected. So even if maybe there aren't a lot of hotels available in the area that maybe if you know, okay, there's going to be a lot of people coming, you know, from, from the suburbs and, you know, maybe from the outskirts of town. I I think that that's something to, to keep in mind. And I think also because we've been having sort of this non-capital city trend, um, hosting trend of Eurovision, I think that that becomes even more important because, you know, maybe some of these places aren't as connected because they aren't, you know, the city center, they aren't the capital. The UK, I think, is a pretty, you know, well-connected, so, like, place and 
even in, you know, outside of London, there are still, you know, cities that have public transport and that works and is reliable and all of that stuff. So, so yeah, so it's interesting for me that infrastructure is, is really up there uh, because I definitely personally have had Eurovision experiences where the infrastructure wasn't there. Let me reflect on Italy. Yeah, the infrastructure there was probably a little bit shaky, although the cab situation was great-ish. It could have probably been better, but but I actually ended up, we, like, I will say Michal and I, Michal from Eurovision Hub was my Eurovision Turin roomie. We got a number, I think, like the first time that we were in, like the first day in Turin, and we just used that cab company the whole time, and they were extremely reliable. And every time we called, someone was there within five minutes. And there was no rolling up to us and then being like, oh, like I'm over here, and then being like, oh, no, I'm not driving there. Never, ever happened. Maybe for some other folks. Uh, but I would say what fell down was, you know, the arena in Turin uh, was by, like, this like sort of metro tram stop but the tram basically closed early a lot. So even after the nights of the semi, there were times where, you know, press are kind of coming out of the building and, and there, it, there was no public transport. So that wasn't great. That wasn't great. Uh, and I will say as a result of some bad occurrences like, like uh, Israel, because I, I should put it in a pen because I don't want people just to think like, oh, you like, why are you just bad? I'm not bashing it. But literally, I missed being in the arena for the grand final because the uh, tram came early. So I missed the shuttle. And then when I tried to get a cab, I think I attempted for about 30, 40 minutes. And then I was just like, well, damn, I'm just going to have to go back to my Airbnb or I'm going to, like, miss stuff. I, so I literally missed the grand final because I could not get to the arena. But the lesson that I learned from that, because it's not just about complaining, I learned the lesson, we always learn things, was that it's really important to actually stay close to the arena as someone who's covering it. I cannot be in a situation like that again, and I will not be in a situation like that again. I will be in walking distance of the arena so that I can show up and do my job, you know? I can show up and do my job. So yeah, infrastructure, I, I think, is something. And I think the other piece of infrastructure is, you know, a reliable airport, of course. And, and again, because we have been choosing places that aren't all capital cities, you know, it can be challenging. I think one of the beauties of Lisbon and one of the, I, I mean, I knew that I was going to go to Portugal. I knew that I needed to be there <laughs> for Eurovision 2018. But I think, you know, with Lisbon, the benefit that I got as an American coming to the contest was a direct flight. Oh, my goodness. Can I ASMR this? A direct flight. You know, you get in the plane, put your feet up, you get comfortable. Even though I will say I had, on the way there, I literally sat on the back row, so my seat did not recline at all slash was I had like no leg room so that was not the greatest on the way there and then on the way back I got one of the entertainment systems that did not work and me like a genius I was like well I'm not gonna like charge my phone that much I'm just gonna have the entertainment system I'm not gonna be in my phone I'll just you know I'll just you know watch it but I did have a charger on me but of course my charging dock uh didn't work. The outlet that I had didn't work. And the entertainment system to watch a movie didn't work. So I sat in that flight for eight hours, pretty much in silence. Silence. It was not great. And the lady next to me, it was so, and it was funny because there were definitely like empty seats on the plane. And I asked several times, I was like, my entertainment system doesn't work. Like, can I please sit someplace else? And that just didn't happen. And the lady who was sat next to me, like, by baggage claim, like, calls her husband on the phone and was like, oh, my God, I just felt so bad for the young lady sitting next to me. She just sat there the whole time. It was just quiet. She didn't have a screen. I don't know what happened with that. But my flight was great. I made it back. I'm going to be home soon. 
yeah. Uh, memories. Um, but yes, it is so crucial to make sure that it's a place where it's accessible. I, I will actually say this. Yeah, Rotterdam was not that accessible for me. <laughs> not accessible in the way, and I should clarify, not accessible for the way that I like to travel. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell y'all right now. I'm going to tell y'all right now. I'm not bougie, but I am old, and I have a full-time job that allows me to afford certain comforts in life, and, <laughs> and I do not want to compromise on said comforts, all right? But we're gonna get we're gonna get to this. Um, yeah, I I'm not a fan of the. Well, you know, you can fly in, you know, to so and this would be the equivalent. Oh, you know, you could fly into you know Copenhagen, and then just get on the train and go to Malmo. No, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. And I'm not saying that they have to cater to me. Look. I'm an American Eurovision fan. I am not the target audience. This is this is not about my comfort. I, I, I'm not delusional. But yeah, I just... So with Rotterdam, oh my gosh, the zigzag of flights that were being spit out to me, and not only the zigzag of flights that were being provided to me, but then the cost. It was like, how dare you say that I'm basically going to have to get on like two flights and then have to catch a train at the end and this is going to cost me like $1,000? What? What? I looked at the prices for Rotterdam like prior to, um, well, and this was for when we were first planning for 2020. I looked at it and I was like, oh, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah, um, there's no way. I will not be, <laughs> I will not be um, going. So 2020, I had already known that I wasn't going to be going to Eurovision in person because I was like, this is crazy. And I had looked and we're going to get to we're going to get to accommodations because the accommodations were insane. So I was looking at a, I was looking at taking a flight that wasn't direct. Obviously, there weren't you know, there aren't direct flights to Rotterdam from the States. So I was looking at a flight that wasn't direct and then having to take a train and it was going to cost me over a thousand dollars. And then I was looking at the most insane accommodation prices. We're going to talk about accommodations later. We're going to talk about that. And then maybe y'all can tell me, like, what my expectations need to be. Because clearly, clearly, either my standards are too high or I'm living in a state of delusion. And honestly, I think I am living in the state of delusion. The world has changed and shifted, and I am back in the dark ages of reasonable accommodations that don't have roaches and, you know, aren't, like, super dated. You know, I thought that there was, like, a nice, like, you know, budget medium. Like, I mean, that was what the Holiday Inn was. You know, the Holiday Inn, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Ritz. It wasn't the Hilton. You know, it wasn't, you know, uh, the Fontainebleau. You know, but you knew the sheets were going to be clean. You knew you were going to have a nice quality bar of soap. You knew they were going to give you, you know, some dried biscuits and some coffee you know, for a continental bread, and maybe a muffin, maybe you get a muffin and some fruit. Some of it might be stale and picked over, but if you get there early enough, they got some fresh apples and some oranges and bananas, you know, but it, but the Holiday Inn was affordable. It was affordable, you know, again, not top notch, but, it, but comfortable. You could sleep there, close your eyes and, and want to put your body on the sheets. You don't mind putting your face in the towels. I, I, I am living in a state of delusion. I, I, I am. All right, let, let me get back to this. So, yeah, Rotterdam, I felt like if we want to have infrastructure at the top of the list, I don't know if Rotterdam was giving. I don't know. I don't know. Most of the people that I've talked to that really, really enjoyed that experience were Dutch, though. You know, so for them, you know, you're in your backyard. You're comfortable. You're used to this. So, you know, but I, I haven't heard a lot of folks that were not, you know, local to the area. But it also wasn't that many of us there. Let's be real, because it was still deep COVID. That's what I've been calling it. I call it pre-pandemic. Then we had deep COVID. Then we had the, then we had the second wave. 
Then we had, like I say, the second wave. Then we had Delta times Omicron. And now I think we're living in the COVID haze. That's what I'm calling it. This is currently the COVID haze. Haze for multiple reasons. You've got the people who had COVID and they feel a little bit hazy. Then you got then you got the people who probably have had COVID, didn't know, and are hazy on facts and science. And then you got those of us who are just like, I mean, are, are, are we wearing the mask? Are we not wearing the mask? You know, am I still washing, you know, am I still, you know, sanitizing everyone? You know, or do I just need to watch myself? Like, am I good indoors? Should I just go on and wear the mask outside too? You know, it's just the haze. It's a confusion of what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, COVID haze. That's what I think we're living in right now. But yeah, I don't know if Rotterdam really was doing that. And Turin, Turin wasn't too bad for me. My flight to Turin was like obviously not direct, but not awful. What was my layover? Did I layover? Yeah, I lay. I had a layover in Germany. That's what it was. Both ways, it was in Frankfurt. And none of my layovers were super long. I think my longest one was like two hours. Turin was actually surprisingly easy to get to for not being like a capital city or one of like kind of those top cities. You know, when you're thinking Italy, what do people think? They think, yeah, Venice, Milan, Rome, probably. Like those those are some of the top ones. And, and I don't know if Turin is really in that list. But Turin, I think, was good. But again, like to get there, not too bad. But on the ground, arguably, maybe it could have been better. Maybe we could have had a stronger public transport or maybe more. Uh, the hours could have been run a little bit longer for the Eurovision time frame. Yeah, that's what I would say. Maybe it, it just could have, it, they could have had the, um, the transport running a little bit longer just for like that week, you know, where we had our semis and our stuff like that. That probably would have been nice. That probably would have been nice. Not a deal breaker. But yeah, infrastructure, I, I, I agree with folks. I think infrastructure is big. I don't know if that's what I would have said as the most important factor. But let's move on. Because... I think next to infrastructure was everyone talking about the venue, ultimately. The venue, I think, uh, the venue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out uh, Dr. Ellie. And Dr. Ellie commented the facilities to produce three spectacular live television broadcasts. And I mean, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. That's right. I, I think I might have, I think I might have actually said the venue. Yeah, I think that might have been my first go-to. Like if I wasn't thinking about it too deeply and you just asked me off the cuff, I would be like, yeah, like the arena, the arena that could do it. That could provide, you know, sort of the ambiance that we want to do, that we could then have sort of the budget that we need. Um to accommodate bringing these songs to life. So I think that's probably where, where, I, where I would have said. And actually, I have one comment from, from a person named Chris. Chris says, everything being close together slash walkable slash infrastructure between venues, which is an interesting note because I think, I think what Chris is even getting at is it's not just even about the venue itself, but it's all of the other things you know you have to build kind of around the venue. So it's like we have to have space for all these delegations because some concert halls, you know, they probably work when you've got Beyonce's team rolling in where this is just one team. You know, you got her hair and makeup, you got her um, opening acts team and hair and makeup, but, you know, it's sort of centralized around, you know, maybe, you know, no more than like seven lead performers probably, you know, whereas this is completely different. You know, we need to have a space that can, that can accommodate, I'd say up to, you know, what, like, I guess at least like 20 featured acts. And with each featured act, you've got their delegate, you got their hair and makeup, you got their dancers, you got their backing vocalists. So that's a lot. That's a lot. And, and then that's not even counting, you know, you've got, you have a crew, You've got to have, you know, people coming in and getting ticketed. And then you've got your press, you, you, you know, your press room and, and, and all of that. That's a lot. That probably eliminates a lot of places that folks are like, oh, I love this venue and I went there. 
But then, you know, you look at the grounds itself. You know, you got to have space to build out all of these, all of these other things. Uh, Camian said venue. Camian said venue. And then uh, Kiara, Kiara said easy to reach, to travel around the city and to the venue. You know, which, so a lot of people were still keeping it, we're still keeping it tight to the venue. We're still keeping, and, and I think when people were mentioning infrastructure as well, I think that they were kind of thinking about the venue as well, because it is, how are people going to get to and from that venue? And then do you literally have the infrastructure and space to accommodate folks? So I think, I think infrastructure and venue are pretty, pretty close together. I will say because I saw some comments when we were talking about like host city and whatnot. I've seen several people bring up the idea like, oh, well, you know, Glasgow's arena is actually not that big. And I even sort and so my, my reply has sort of been, well, you know, Globin in Sweden is actually not that big. And I actually think because it was not that big, it lent itself to a really good television show. I think the acts looked better because you didn't have, you know, these artists just getting swallowed by this stage and this emptiness. I, it's interesting because when Germany last hosted, that was a pretty big arena. But in a way, it felt so full and the energy was pulsating so much that I don't think it felt like people really got swallowed up. I mean, there were some sweeping, expansive shots of the last German production. But I don't know. The energy was just so high that it felt right. It felt okay. It worked in a way. But I still think I probably prefer something a little bit more intimate and, and yeah, I don't think having a smaller arena should eliminate it when we're thinking about ultimately it is about the television show. And with a stage that's a little bit tighter, you know, you can get those better camera angles. And then it also, I think, sort of benefits some of those countries where they're like, look, y'all, we don't have budget for all these damn dancers. Girl, you're just going to have to get on stage by yourself, work it out. Some people can do that. Some people cannot. Sink or swim, it's cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually, I actually kind of like the idea of not a huge stage. So again, I think Glasgow is still in play. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying Glasgow, I think, is still in play. I, I think it not having a massive arena it's just, yeah, to me, it's just point blank. It's just not a deal breaker. I think it's good. So I think for me, I, I like an intimate venue. Perhaps I'm not really a fan of this. It's kind of like, what is it, like an exhibition hall? And then we sort of build everything from scratch. I don't I don't know about that. Yeah, I I don't know about that. But I I will say what I loved that they did last year, the green room looked beautiful. The fact that it was like real plants and and nature, I actually really did like it. Um, I thought that that was a beautiful touch and something that I think that they should consider kind of keeping. It, it was uh, and they they probably won't because I think you know sort of like well we don't want to mimic it, but I think it was a really good idea and it just looked good. It looked good on camera. It looked really good on camera. I also didn't really feel like people got swallowed up. So some folks are saying Manchester's arena is bigger than what Glasgow is offering. Manchester's is the AO, right? The AO arena. I don't know. I, yeah, I just don't think we have to have a huge venue. And, and I think some people think, well, no, huge venue, so then we can kind of sell more tickets. And again, I'm like, are the tickets really the revenue maker? It's a TV show. Like, like the show is like the real revenue maker, not just like I think the tickets kind of pay for the three weeks, right? <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they cover. Well, I mean, they actually probably don't cover the three weeks. Maybe they cover the power for the three weeks in the arena. Maybe that's maybe that's how it works. 
but yeah, no, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of folks. Frederick says a big venue. So KG so says venue space. Constantinos says venue. So yeah, I think venue was like our second runner up. Now let's talk about some of the other things people people threw throughout throughout there. Now Ariel says Eurovision Village. They need a good location and a good plan in place. It's so important, not just for fans, but if you get it right, it's really a boost for the local economy too. I agree with that. And I don't know if Euro Village has even really been done super, super well from my perspective that I've seen, because to me, that is a space where you get your vendors like, is there, and so I'm in a sorority here in the States and, you know, in order for people to get permission to literally like make our sorority paraphernalia merch, if you will, you know, they have to go through our organization, but part of, and, and like get a, get permission and everything because there's all these rules of like how you short sort of show the logo in my mind, maybe you should think about that. I mean, now with Etsy being such a thing and, and people just being so creative and whatnot, you know, like I would be, I would be selling space. I would be identifying my official Eurovision merchants where, you know, you can get the, you can get the, uh, Dr. Ellie's tea towels, you know, of all, all the Eurovision results. You can have that. You can have some dope bandanas, some really cute things. You know, to me, it's a marketplace. You can go, you can find out locally, like, who's serving the food and, and give them a space there. It, it can be a space. I, I think it, having a stage, having a, a stage where you can showcase some local talent. Hello? Hello? I think that would be amazing. I would go there and just hang out. Hang out. Hear some, hear some local singers and stuff. Have an opportunity there. You know, and, and I mean, honestly, we could really, you know, fire festival it up and, you know, sell cabanas. Come to the Eurovision Village, get a cabana with a bucket of beer. You and five friends could have a private space. You, you're there in the ambiance, but then you get your own private television in the cabana. I mean, some people will say that this is capitalistic. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and we're going to get back to talking about capitalism at one point. I, I am going to have to touch on some capitalism because we're, we're going to come back to this. So Eurovision Village, but Ariel, really good note. I, I do think, I, I don't think I have seen Euro Village done, I think, to its, to its like fullest, fullest potential. Yes, it's a marketplace for all the official, vendor. like to me, if you're an official sponsor of Eurovision, it's like, so what, they have Moroccan oil, which y'all, I'm not going to lie. I'm into the Moroccan oil now. And I'm not saying this because they gave me money. And I probably shouldn't be saying this because they probably should give me money. But I got the free bag at Eurovision. So maybe maybe that's my compensation. And them products are expensive. But I literally came home, bought the shampoo. I bought an extra of the Moroccan oil. And I got a deep conditioner. The stuff is good. And y'all see my hair. My hair is long. It's like actually, it, like it's it's very healthy. And I feel like the Moroccan oil products are actually... They're doing some things in a good way. I, I'm, I'm enjoying my Moroccan oil experience. But yeah, Moroccan oil, if you're an official sponsor, then you should have a booth in Euro Village. You know, maybe giving out some bags, giving out some free swag, but then also, you know, selling some of the merch, selling the oils, selling the deep conditioners, travel sizes and all. That would be great. That would be great. And, and yeah, I think have local businesses show up and, and sell things. I mean, you can even buy like, you know, kind of touristy tchotchkes and stuff like that. I, I don't think I've seen Euro Village done to its full potential. Maybe this year it'll change. Maybe, maybe this year it'll change. Okay, so then this other person who I think their name is Johnny. They've got a pride flag. Shout out. Um, entertainment and cultural slash touristic things to do in free time for artists, delegations, press, and fans. I love that. I'm not saying it's a requirement, but it damn sure is a really nice thing to have. When you come to a place, I've always said this, Eurovision is such an amazing experience. 
and one of the things I love about it is I can truly kind of experience parts of Europe that I don't think I would normally. I, I actually love this tear of Eurovision being held in non-capital cities because it's telling me to like go to this place that is probably not on any of my friends' like touristy lists. And, and I've always been the person. So when I travel in Europe, and because I've done a lot of travel solo, typically my first night I get there, I try to arrive like early in the morning. Typically, I end up arriving early. Always try to check in early. Check in with your Airbnb host. See if they'll allow you to do that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky that I've been able to do that. Take a nice power nap when I arrive. And then I wake up and I do some type of pub crawl instantly and a walking like pub crawl one it's they're typically hosted by locals so then they can tell you like oh yeah like you should check out this place for dinner so you already know things if it's a walking tour now you're getting actually comfortable with where you are you're getting your bearings you're finding out sort of like where things are and and walking it out so it's increasing your level of comfort and then you know it's like a nice way to kind of like choose yourself and typically on pub crawls I have found that it is like a lot of solo travelers tend to do it because if you if you're traveling someplace and you know someone then you're just going to like go out with them for drinks but if you're by yourself like you don't necessarily want to just like go to a bar like alone it's also probably not that safe and so yeah I've had um a lot of luck doing that and then also to like make friends so then while I'm there you know I can kind of make friends and maybe hang out with some folks later on in the trip so so I actually do think that that's kind of a big thing and as many folks know, for Turin this year, I was shocked at, at, there weren't that many tours and things to do. And I was surprised a lot of the tours that they had were tours where you like got on a bus and they took you to like a winery. Very cool experience. But I was shocked that there wasn't a lot of stuff to do locally. And I even reached out to like four like tour companies in Turin to sort of say like, hey, I'm coming for Eurovision. Like, do you maybe want to collaborate on something or do you want to add like another tour and like I could promote it to my folks and, you know, I would only ask that I get to go for free. I mean, I think that that's fair. Like, I'm promoting it. I'll get other people to go and like I can go for free. And I mean, each place basically said, nah, like no, we're not going to add any other tours. We're not going to do anything. I was shocked. Um, now, I'm not saying that there were no tours in the area, because if you look at my YouTube channel, you can see some of the wonderful tours that I did do. But there just there wasn't a lot, and there absolutely was no type of pub crawl nightlife thing. Nothing. I repeat, there was not one in Turin. So I decided to do my own events, and it was amazing. It was actually, like, really, really awesome. I had so much fun, and I got to meet people. Yeah, I did. So I did a dinner one night, uh, which was really cool, because I was like, okay, it's Italy. Like, we got to have, like, something that's like a dinner, and, you know, something, like, chill. And I didn't want everything just to be, like, you know, drink, drink. But it was great. People play, paid a flat rate. We had a three-course meal that really I don't even feel like was, like, three courses. Like, they definitely gave us, like, bonus food. And then it was like free drinks, not just wine, like not just wine and beer, like people got cocktails. It was great. It was amazing. Also did a, um, I did a cocktail crawl, not a pub crawl, a cocktail crawl. And I think at first some people were like, girl, this is really expensive. And I was kind of like, girl, this is going to be really fancy. So, you know, if you just want to go to some bars, like we could do that. But this is, you know to cheers and get a little bit fancy and that's exactly what we did and it was amazing so yeah johnny you're right I, there has to be stuff to do there has to be stuff to do I, and i'm and and i do feel like there is there is a balance because i do think if eurovision was happening in london so many people would just be doing other things you wouldn't have like that central sort of space for people to come together and i think that lessens the impact of Eurovision, so I, I do like it when it's just like you're walking down the street and you can just tell like you're here for Eurovision, right? Like you're here for Eurovision, like you know, it's just and it just feels like exciting and fun. Uh, but yeah, okay. Faith ESC says infrastructure as important as transport slash accommodation is the show that hundreds of millions of people worldwide see on TV 
takes priority over the lucky few that can afford slash are able to travel in person to see the show live. And I think, you know, I think that's an, in, in, it's an important thing to remind ourselves. And I think that's why I sort of said, when if someone had just asked me this question, I probably would have just said venue. And I would have said venue, not so much rooted in what the people there are experiencing, but what the people at home are experiencing. So it's interesting. So Faith, you know, came through on the chat and was like, okay, I see y'all talking about infrastructure and all this stuff that you in person get to experience. But is that really important? Good point, Faith. Coming through there. Coming through there. Um, yeah. Claudia says, willingness to host. Of course they all want to host. They put bids in. But I don't know. I feel like sometimes cities are more just like, I guess we'll host instead of please, we want to host. And I just feel like those who really want it will try their hardest to give us a great show. Claudia, I agree with you. I really agree with you. You know, sometimes I wonder to myself, did Turin, and I'm not saying this to like bash Turin, I'm, I'm really, really not. I think it just felt like, no, Turin makes sense. We've got, you know, Rye has offices here. There is an airport. There is a venue. Like, we got it. I don't know if the city wanted to host it, though. I think, you know, for the, for the delegation, it just was like, this makes sense. This will work. We've got the infrastructure, you know, to a certain degree. We've got all the ingredients for us to put on a show here. But did the city really want it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What makes me think the city might not have wanted it? Well, you know, we didn't really get a Euro Club. We didn't really get a fan cafe. There sort of was that one that kind of came up real late. You know, real late it popped up. And then even those, like, fan cafe places, you know, it just didn't seem like the businesses were really, like, as a whole, I should say, as a whole. Because obviously the businesses that I reached out to were extremely accommodating for me and what I was trying to put on for folks. Also, maybe the EBU didn't call the right people. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I, I did have this sense of, did the city want it? Because there was, it, it did seem like there could have been some levels of maybe more coordination. You know, because Euro Village, I think, had some issues last year. So, like, that probably could have been ironed out if people were really hungry to host it and, and really, like, do it well. To me, if the city is on board with having this thing happen, you know there's going to be a, this event. You know that people are going to be coming from this event like late night. You should have your transport running more frequently to that, to that space. You would have your transport open later, you know, on the nights that the shows are happening, right? But I think that that's key. You know, instead of just, yeah, I guess we'll host. But really thinking about, like, we really want it. And with that said, thinking of Eurovision 2023... Glasgow wants it, and I think Manchester wants it. I think Birmingham wants it. Birmingham already did it, though, right, you know? But I, but I think Birmingham wants it. Honestly, I don't know how Liverpool... Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Liverpool um, really wants it, but that video that, that appears on... If y'all have been listening to the podcast, it's the LVP... Yeah, Liverpool, I think, might want it. So I think we've got some folks that want it. Um, and, 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 and it does make a difference. I, I do agree. I think this, this is something really important to note. At some point, you know, the BBC, or BBC, the EBU has to put on a hat to just say this is deeper than just the the infrastructure maybe. It's like, do y'all really want to work with us on this? Are y'all going to be flexible? And y'all is everyone. Y'all is, you know, the leadership, the elected officials in the area. It's the people that sit at, you know, sort of the business table. Um, you know, the transportation folks. Like, do we have everyone on board? Do we have the hotel board on board? Because I'll tell you in Turin, I don't know if they had them on board. Because I think some of the hotels were just like, look, we about to get our money, okay? <laughs> they were like, we about to get our money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Yeah, like, I think they were like, 
nah, we don't have to make the, this affordable for y'all. And it's kind of like, no, but this is the whole point of your bid. Like, don't you have to be like, you have to work with us. And they're like, we don't. Um, <laughs> uh, Gina Jones says, I've only been to your, to one Eurovision Vienna in 2015, and I'm going to go with Eurovillage. They got that bit so right. I felt so a decent space to host Eurovillage. Okay. We talked a little bit about Eurovillage and that's, that's there. Now, Connor, Connor's my boy on this one because Connor said, because I'm an alcoholic, dot, dot, dot. Good bars and nightlife for those brief moments I ain't Eurovisioning. And brother, 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 brother. I'm right with you on that. I do think you got to have at least a little bit of like a scene. Like you got to have at least a little bit of a scene in the area. Just just a little bit. Not too big that it swallows us up and, and we don't have those spaces that we can kind of come together. But, but enough. Enough to scoot out. I will say that about Turin. I felt like people were out in Turin. I felt like people were out. It was like a decent energy in that sense. Like I felt like it was a city that people were doing things. Like people actually lived. It didn't even feel like, you know, touristy. It felt like there was stuff to do. Stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Steven commented, Connectivity, connectivity via an international airport. I mean, we talked about this before. We did talk about this before. I do think that it is kind of important. I, I don't know. And, and, and this is probably me thinking selfishly. Like, because I want, I want to have the option to go. I want to have the option to go. And I don't want to feel like I have to, like, fly in and I have to take a train. Can I fly in and then just get on another plane? Can I get my direct flight <laughs> from the States and then maybe take like a dink dink flight to get direct there? I'm cool with that. I'm cool with taking a dink dink flight. Did I ever tell y'all the story about how I like in the middle of like Eurovision 2016, I did like a little like couple of days in Prague and I didn't even know that it was like a holiday weekend. And so that was kind of awful because I was like, oh, God. Like, it was so many people. But when I flew back to Sweden, I had to get on one of those front propeller planes. Never again. Um, I will say this. To be fair to the front pr propeller plane, I do think the landing was better. I think there's something about the front propeller planes where they can kind of dip you down in a, in, a, in a nicer, like, rocky way, whereas sometimes, you know... You know, with the regular planes without the front propellers, it just, you know, you know, it can, get, it can get real rocky on the way down. Like, the Dink Dink plane was not that bad on the descent. But the entire journey, um, I was just listening to Christian music. Just, you know, to prepare my soul and self for the end. <laughs> but I'm going to say this. I'm going to say the other thing that I was surprised... At, some people kind of alluded to it in the comments, but I will say I think this is the thing that's just becoming trickier. And I, I understand, like, look, we are in an inflation world. I'm not saying that inflation doesn't exist, but I do think more so common than inflation is corporate greed and people just being greedy. What is going on with these Airbnb prices? I'm going to get real close to them. What is going on with some of these Airbnb prices? I, so the way that I do Eurovision typically is I get my accommodations first, and then I will kind of secure my flight. And I've always made a practice of just like, you know, once we have an idea of where it's going to be, you know, just kind of looking ahead and, and just getting an idea of the pricing so then I know whether I can make it work and go and afford to go or not. This year, I literally saw like... I will just say, in general, Glasgow is more expensive than Manchester. It's just anecdotally, for me, American. From the flight to... And the flights actually aren't that much of a difference, but the Manchester ones overall are cheaper, and I get a little bit more options with them. And, I, and I'll be blunt with you. I was shocked at how cheap the Manchester flights were. I was fully expecting... For the flight for myself and my daughter, 
it was like the price I have played for my round trip flights, you know, alone. So for two tickets to get to Manchester is actually like the price of what I have paid for like a single round trip journey. So like 600 plus dollars, true story. Um, so I was shocked at how affordable Manchester was. Glasgow was probably just like a hundred bucks more. So not, not too much where it becomes undoable, but, uh, you know, but it is more, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing pros and cons, it is more, but let's get down to these accommodations. Now I will say, I don't know. I think I put it out there in the ether and some kind folks in Glasgow were like, look, there's this American girl and she's, she's coming for us. Maybe we need to <laughs> make our Airbnb available at a reasonable price because I, I, after I had sort of this revelation, I saw, so basically I saw a place, like one place go from like 5,000 and this was like a nice apartment. I'm, you know, it wasn't janky, but it was like a nice apartment with like two bedrooms. So for like 5,000 for two weeks, go to 35 K. Was that what it was? 35 K criminal. Like, literally, I refreshed the screen and it was like, ah, oh my gosh. I think I saw another place that was like 1500 go to like 15000 With love, that's not, that's not inflation, y'all. <laughs> that's not inflation. That's people going, oh, they're talking about Eurovision being here these days. Like, and I understand people talking about inflation, I was like, yeah, but then that would mean all of their prices are going up. I'm saying for this time frame. Like, I'm looking at it. They're like, oh, these Eurovision people are going to come. And the crazy thing is, somebody's going to pay that. That's, I think, the thing that makes me like, oh, God. Oh, God. Someone's going to pay that. Not I. I can't afford that. I'm not rich like that. I'm not rich like that. But, yeah, I just... The accommodations are the things that I've been seeing. Now, I remember... When I went to Eurovision 2016, I stayed in an apartment and I was in, I was in Stockholm for like maybe like a, a month and like a week. I used it like literally as like home base and I went to some other places while I was there, but I like, I got it and it was, and so think about it like rent, it was like 3000 US dollars, but like for a month you know, for a month. And it was, and it was a one bedroom apartment. It was in a nice building close to the Metro. It was really, it was really, really nice. A nice kitchen, big living room area, um, large bathroom. Yeah. It just, it was a really nice space. And I got that for like 3000, which low key to me, I was like, it's a short term rental. Also this, you know, if someone was living here, like for rent in a, in a city, you know, I think there was a little bit of an upcharge just given the fact that it was like a short-term rental and not a long-term rental, but, but that felt reasonable to me because it was a, it was like a month and some change in a Metro accessible location and Sweden's not cheap, but these people are out here talking about, you know, $5,000 for a week, a week in like a studio apartment. And I'm looking at some of the photos and it's like, it looks like you literally just rolled off the bed and said, hey, somebody want to rent this? I don't know. That is the thing that's making me most nervous, I think, about the Eurovision in-person experience. I think with Turin, it was the same thing. The accommodations for so many folks, it was so expensive. And I think a lot of the people that made it work, they were staying with friends or they were like renting a room. You know, they weren't renting like a whole, you know, like a whole Airbnb. And I mean, I saw those hotel prices. I mean, some of the hotel prices for Turin, $500 a night, $600 US, I'm saying US dollars a night. I'm like, what? So I say personal plea. I, I am not trying to stand in the way of someone making a profit now, okay? I, I don't, I don't, but I would like not the greed so that people can experience this in person. And we don't want Eurovision just to become like a rich man's Activity? No. Eurovision for the people. Eurovision for real. That concludes this podcast episode. If you haven't already subscribed to the Eurovision for Real podcast, what are you waiting for? Please subscribe. Come on over. Come on over. 
we're gonna have real conversation and it's only gonna be heating up. I'm gonna start having interviews on here. I also need to like start, you know, getting all my, you know, getting real prepared. I'm, I'm gonna start to zen out and put my psychic hat on because honestly, next episode, next episode, I wanna talk about the countries that I think could win this year. That's gonna be the next episode. Y'all wanna tune into that. Cause actually last year, I wasn't wrong. I said that Ukraine could win. And then they did. Yeah, Ukraine was one of my countries. I think I gave myself like five. And then maybe I did like an honorable mention of a six. This year, I, I don't think I'll do an honorable mention. I think I'm gonna hold it to five countries. And you might think, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? Because it's for fun. I don't really know, but it's fun to guess. And again, I actually <laughs> wasn't wrong. I actually, I, like, I, I did say, and it was like the countries that could win Eurovision 2022, and Ukraine was one of them. But also Ukraine is a country that I say, in general, it's not dumb to bet on them. They do Eurovision really well. So yes, thank you for listening to the Eurovision For Real podcast. I'm Alicia Michelle. Please subscribe. Thanks.